Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. How do we know that the Bible is really God's Word and not man's Word? Well, one of the ways that we know that, and probably the best way we know that, is because of prophecy. Now, prophecy is the foretelling of the future, and it's foretelling the future with 100% accuracy 100% of the time. And that's what you have in the Bible. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, in a message titled, The Sure Word of Prophecy. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, as we carry on in our study through the Gospel of Mark, we come now to chapter 11, and we come now to to the final week in the life and ministry of Jesus prior to, you know, this, this week now is leading to those final events of his death and ultimately of his resurrection. And as we come to the passage that we just read together, what we see here is that this is the first and only time that Jesus allowed himself to be publicly proclaimed as the king of Israel. He was the king of Israel, and he, you know, on various occasions, he told people that he was the Messiah, but he never allowed a public proclamation of his messiahship. And and so now he does. And now he does for a specific reason, because that announcement was reserved for this specific time. For, For this very day, God had through the prophets declared that there was a day that would come when the Messiah would be revealed to Israel. And this is that day. So maybe just refresh your memory. There there was a time in the Galilee area where Jesus had fed a multitude of people, the the loaves and the fish. He multiplied that. And it says that when the people, you know, saw this miracle and, and were blessed and benefited by it, they desired to come and try to make him a king by force. They wanted to force him to, to publicly proclaim the fact that he was the Messiah. And he did not allow that to happen. And he did not allow that to happen because that was reserved for this very day. So the passage that we just read together is a passage where we have prophecy coming together. We have three prophecies that are being fulfilled in this one event. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the subject of Bible prophecy by looking at these three prophecies specifically. And we want to see just the certainty of the prophetic word. You know, God has given us prophecy for a number of reasons. One reason is prophecy proves divine authorship. How do we know that the Bible is really God's word and not man's word. Well, one of the ways that we know that, and probably the best way we know that, is because of prophecy. Now, prophecy is the foretelling of the future. 
and it's foretelling the future with 100% accuracy 100% of the time. And that's what you have in the Bible. You don't have that anywhere else. You don't have that in any other religious literature. You don't have that with any other you know, person in history who's ever maybe claimed to have a prophetic voice. Uh, the most common one that you, you would hear about in more recent times would be somebody like Nostradamus. You know, people will say, oh man, well, you think the Bible has prophecy? Nostradamus, you should hear his prophecies. Nothing like it, no comparison. And so it's the built-in proof of the inspiration of scripture, but it's also just great encouragement to us to know where things will ultimately go. We know the future. We know where it's all going to end. We know what's coming. And I mean, it is kind of bittersweet because there, there's some bad stuff before the good stuff comes. We know that because scripture tells us. But what scripture tells us and what prophecy tells us is that there is a God-purposed end to all things. God is going to bring everything ultimately to the place that he wants it to be. And that place is um, an everlasting kingdom of righteousness and peace and justice and joy and all of those things that we do long for in the world. So that's what prophecy does for us. And it's important for us to remember that. And I know for myself, there's times I just, I will just decide, I'm going to read the book of Revelation just because I need to be reminded of where everything's headed. I need to be reminded of those great promises of God and, and where things are going. And, and so that's part of the purpose of prophecy. But here in the passage, like I said, we have three different prophecies all coming together in this one place. But, but let me also, once again, go back to the point of this is the one and only place where Jesus allows himself to be hailed as the king. Now, he's doing that because he is, of course, shortly going to, he's going to go to the cross. And he's going to do that publicly and he's going to do that with the, the purpose of the message of the cross going to all the world. Now, remember, Jerusalem, this is the Passover. This is Passover week that they're heading into. Every Jewish male was required by the Mosaic law to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. So this would swell the population of the city to hundreds of thousands. And the Jews... Not only did they live, you know, scattered throughout the land of Israel, most of the Jews lived outside the land of Israel. So they would come from all over the world at that time. And, and so there would be just this great multitude of Jewish people there, and they would be there to witness ultimately the crucifixion, but they would be there also to witness this event. And so you can be pretty certain that in the homes that were packed with people because of all of the visitors on this night, you can be absolutely certain what the conversation was about. It was about Jesus of Nazareth riding into Jerusalem, coming down the Mount of Olives into the East Gate and being hailed as the Messiah. That would have been the conversation. And so here... I want us to see 
I want us, like I said, to focus on the subject of prophecy. So I, I want to look at the prophecies that are given here. And there are two prophecies that are stated in the text, and then there's an additional prophecy that the other two prophecies point to. So we're going to look at three prophecies. But we have here in Mark and also in Luke, they give us one prophetic reference, and that's Psalm 118. And so turn in your Bible to Psalm 118. Matthew and John give us a reference to Zechariah chapter 9. And we're going to go to Zechariah chapter 9 in a moment, but you can't turn to both places at the same time, right? So go to Psalm 118, because that's where we're going to start. And then Psalm 118 and Zechariah chapter 9, they point us to another prophecy, and that's a prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. So we'll end up in Daniel chapter 9. But as you have turned to... Um, the psalm there, 118, I want to read verses 19 through 26. And think about this in relation to the passage that we all read together there in Mark 11. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So as we read that, that psalm, you can hear the echoes in the passage there in Mark. So Mark quotes from part of it. And I want to point out to you three aspects to it that Mark quotes from. First of all, save now, I pray. That's the word save now is the word Hosanna. So Hosanna means save now. So when they were shouting Hosanna, you know, sometimes we even have worship songs that will include the Hosanna. The meaning is, is literally save now. So the people, as Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem, the people are shouting Psalm 118. Now, as the people would go to worship, and especially at these festivals, they would have certain psalms that they would recite together or sing together. And this is, this is what's called the Hallel Psalm. Hallel means praise. Like the word hallelujah Hallelujah means praise the Lord. It's two words. It's Hallel and Yah, who is God. And so the Hallel Psalms were Psalms of praise. So the Hallel Psalms started in Psalm 113, and they finished in Psalm 118. So this is the final of the Hallel Psalms. And so all of this multitude of people, as Jesus is coming down this path into Jerusalem, they are shouting, save now, Lord, and then they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Luke add, adds that to it. And so they are proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. Now, Jesus didn't tell them to do that. Jesus didn't prevent them from doing that. That's the thing. So they were doing this spontaneously. 
And Jesus allowed it because, as I already said, this was the time and the place for this to happen. Now, we also read in the psalm, this, this is the stone the builders rejected. Now, when we get to the next chapter of Mark, we're going to find that Jesus, as he goes into the city, as he goes into the temple first and deals with the the money changers and all that. Then he's gonna, during that, this next week, he's gonna be in dispute with the religious leaders and he's gonna quote Psalm 118 to them. He's gonna quote this back right here, this passage, the stone which the builders rejected. He's gonna say to them, haven't you read this? Because they were rejecting him. And he's gonna say, haven't you read the stone that the builders rejected? So Jesus is quoting Psalm 118. But then, and this is really the key, Verse 24 says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You see, this psalm was prophesying this day. Now, we as Christians, we read in this psalm, Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And if we're having a really good day, we say that. You know, this is the day the Lord has made. That's great. We can say that. But what we need to know is the first real meaning of the psalm is that there was an appointed day on which the Messiah would be rejected, the people would publicly hail him as the Savior as he came in. It would happen on this day. So this is the day the Lord has made. Now, the second passage is Zechariah chapter 9. So turn to Zechariah, and the easiest way to do that might be to go to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and just go, just go over to your left. It's the second book over from Malachi. So Malachi, Zechariah. Sometimes these are a little bit challenging to find. And, you know, I've been teaching the Bible for 40 years, and sometimes... Somebody says, turn to this book of the Bible. I'm like, oh, where is that now? Wow. <laughs> I think that's old age catching up with me, actually. So, Zechariah 9. Now, the psalm is written about 1,000 uh, BC. 1,000 years before the time of Jesus, Psalm 118 was penned. Zechariah was written about four to 500 years before the New Testament period. So there's, you know, there's, there's five to 600 years between these two prophecies, but they're speaking about the same thing. So Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, this is what it says. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so this prophecy of Zechariah is happening. This is the day. Jesus, you remember here in the story, we, we read it. He tells him, you know, go, go bring me this, this donkey and this, and this colt. And if somebody says to you, oh, it's tied up over here, go get it. If somebody says to you, hey, what are you doing taking that? Just say the Lord needs it. And they'll let you go. And that's exactly what happened. They went to get the, the animal. The people said, wait, what are you doing? They said, the Lord needs it. Said, okay. 
And so Jesus takes now the donkey and he mounts upon it and he rides into Jerusalem and he comes in in this fashion, this this lowly fashion, just as the prophet said. Now, the key thing here is to note that the message is to the daughter of Zion, the daughter of Jerusalem. Zion and Jerusalem are more or less synonyms. But again, remember, this is the time for Jesus to be revealed to Jerusalem, which is the center of the nation, which is the spiritual capital of the nation. This is a time for him to be revealed as the Messiah. Now, Jesus has been to Jerusalem many times before, right? Jesus was in Jerusalem as a baby. He was dedicated in the temple as a baby. But there was never a public proclamation. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in the region of Galilee in the city of Nazareth. He's visited Jerusalem, but now he comes in. And this is the fulfillment of the Zechariah prophecy. Behold, your king is coming to you. How do we know who our king is? He's going to come riding on a donkey. He's going to come humble and lowly. And so we see that Jesus comes in humility. He doesn't come to judge. He doesn't come on a stallion to make war on the city. He comes humbly and peacefully. Now, these two prophecies, they point us to a third prophecy, and that's the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. So if you want to just turn again a few pages over, you'll come to Daniel. And the ninth chapter of Daniel, we see these two, these two things come together. We see the, the prophecy of the day, and we see the prophecy of the Messiah coming on that day right here in Daniel chapter 9. So verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9, it says this. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. Now, the word weeks means simply seven. So the translators put in weeks. But for us, that sounds like you know seven weeks is 49 days. But it's not weeks of days. What we discover is it's actually weeks of years. So this message comes to Daniel at the end of a 70-year period of captivity that the, the Jewish nation has been in. So Daniel has been part of that captivity. He's in Babylon, which, which has now become actually taken over by the Persians. But there, Daniel, he's thinking and praying and meditating in relation to the fact that the 70 years that were prophesied against Israel, they're coming to a close. And he knows they're coming to a close. So the whole ninth chapter is, is a, a record of Daniel praying and seeking God about this conclusion of the 70-year period of captivity. So the angel Gabriel comes and speaks to him, and this is what he says. 70, in a sense he's saying, 70 more sevens are determined upon your people and the holy city. And listen to what the outcome will be at the end of the 77-year periods. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So at the end of these 77-year periods, 
everything will be completed. That's pretty much what it's saying, just to summarize it. It'll all be done. Sin will have been dealt with. Uh, Reconciliation will have been made. Everlasting righteousness will be brought in. Prophecy, vision, all that stuff, it'll, it'll be completed. That's what it's saying. And the most holy will be anointed. So that's what's going to happen at the end of this period of time. The question is, well, when does the period of time start? And as we read on, the answer is given. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So there shall be 69 sevens is what it says. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So let's pause and talk about this for a minute. So the angel tells him there's 77 year periods and then everything will be done. The everlasting kingdom of God will be brought into its reality. That'll happen at the end of this period. But he then breaks the period into 69 and one. So there's going to be 69 seven-year periods and something's going to happen. And then that's going to leave one seven-year period that's yet to be completed. And so when does this period begin? Well, it begins from the command to restore and build Jerusalem. So there's some point where there's going to be a command that's given And it's going to be a recognizable command. And it's going to be to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. From the giving of that commandment, there's going to be 69 seven-year periods. Or that equals 483 years. So from the time of the command, there's going to be 483 years until this event. So here's what we have. The, The big question is, when's the starting point? Now... There were two decrees that were given by the Persian kings in regard to Jerusalem. One was given to Ezra and one was given to Nehemiah. The command to Ezra was first, but the decree that was given to Ezra was not to rebuild the city, but to rebuild the temple. So at the end of the Babylonian captivity, when the Jews were free to go back to the land of Israel, they were under Persian rule. Israel was under Persian rule because the Persians had conquered the Babylonians in the meantime. So they were allowed to go back, but they couldn't build the city because the city represented autonomy and, you know, potential rebellion against the empire. But the king allowed them to rebuild the temple. It was their place of worship. But even after the temple was rebuilt, the city was still in rubble. And in Nehemiah chapter one, we have the story of how certain people had visited Jerusalem and they came back to Nehemiah with a report that it is just in devastation. It's desolate. It's just rubble. And and Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer for the king, the Persian king, Artaxerxes at the time, he was so depressed and so discouraged over this. And he began to pray that God would somehow help him in some way do something to restore Jerusalem.
month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Embodied, Transgender Identities, the Church and What the Bible Has to Say by Preston Sprinkle. In today's culture, both Christians and non-Christians experience incongruence with their gender, but the church has generally avoided this culturally sensitive topic. So how can we address this issue from a biblical perspective and love the transgender community more widely, both inside and outside the church? And how can we love them in compassionate and practical ways? Well, in his book, Embodied, Preston adds his voice to the conversation with sound biblical research that is expressed with pastoral sensitivity, compassion, grace, and love. To understand transgender identities from a biblical, psychological, and scientific perspective, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order Embodied, Transgender Identities, The Church, and What the Bible Has to Say by Preston Sprinkle. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.